Hi there and welcome. The First Christian Church podcast ministry features the teaching and preaching of the First Christian Church in downtown Roseburg, Oregon. Here's today's message. Outlines, you can go ahead and pull them up. We are going to start a four-week series called Oh, come, let us adore him. So if you have your Bibles, let's turn to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2, and there is, uh, there is uh, nothing better than celebrating the Christmas season. By the way, you made it. It's officially Christmas season. Bust out the Christmas music, the decorations. How many of you have neighbors that already decorated in the middle of November for Christmas? I know my street has decorations up uh, I know we spent some time this last week putting up a few decorations, and we'll get full into the holiday spirit. I'm one of those people who wait till uh, after Thanksgiving to really start listening to Christmas music. So fire up the CDs, fire up your playlist. It is officially Christmas season. As we approach Christmas this year, we're going to be talking about what it means to come and worship Jesus Christ. And over the hopefully the next four weeks, we're going to talk about the different ways we practically worship Jesus. Because if I were to ask you today, uh, do you worship Jesus? Most of us would respond yes. And if I were to respond with you how, you would probably say, well, we sing. And that might be the extent of your answer. So we're going to look at four biblical ways the Bible teaches us that we can worship Jesus. God. And this first one is real practical, and I think it'll be an encouragement to you. So we're in Matthew chapter 2, and verse number 1. Let me read this for you. It says this, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem, verse 2, and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have, let's say this together, what have they come to do? Those of you who are in the building, those of you who are at home, we have come to worship him. Why are we here? We're here to worship him. This is what the magi came, what the wise men came. It's almost as if they said, hey, we've seen the lights. We've seen the presents, we've seen the decorations, we've heard the Christmas music, but where's Jesus? Because we've come to worship Him. We've come to worship Him. And so what I love about this as we get started is the wise men didn't come to get something from God, they came to offer worship to Him. Now tragically in Christianity today and and really during Christmas, This time of year is really self-focused. It's really me-focused, and we exchange Christmas lists, and and we we buy gifts for one another, and and a lot of it comes to, uh, a lot of the focus comes to, what can I get out of this season? The beautiful lesson we see with the wise men is, they didn't come to get anything from God, they came to worship God. Him. It's almost as if we've turned Jesus into a genie in the lamp and, and we rub the lamp and poof, he comes out and we give him our prayers and we expect those to be fulfilled in our life. Or maybe a cosmic Coke machine 
And we go in and we put our coin in and we put our prayer in and, and we press a button and then, and, then, and then the answered prayer comes out. And, you know, we make sure that we say the prayer, we, we do the devotion, we take the appropriate picture of our, of our Bible study and we post it so that people know we're spiritual. We do something nice for, for someone. We don't flip someone off in traffic. And then God answers our prayers because we're treating God as if He's designed or that He exists to make our life better. And the reality is, this is not why God exists. God does not exist for us. We exist for Him. And we are created to glorify Him, to worship Him, to make Him known, and to bring Him honor. In the New Testament, the book of Colossians says it this way, For in Him, Jesus, all things were created. All things have been created through Him and for Him. I believe that God wants more of us from our hearts toward Him in worship. And oftentimes, we think of worship as the portion of the service where we sing. And oftentimes, we we equate music with worship, and music certainly is a vital component. In fact, today's message kind of talks about what we can do during worship as a sign of worship. But worship, the definition of worship is much more than just music. The definition of worship is this, the act of paying honor to God. The act of paying honor to God. Worship describes the reverence and the homage paid through adoration, through confession, through prayer, through thanksgiving, through music, and with the way we live our lives. I believe one of the greatest areas that we can improve is learning not just on Sundays how we can worship, but how we can live lives of worship. You see, worship is not something we do. Worship is something we are. We are worshipers. We are created to worship God from the depths of our heart. And so for the next few weeks as we approach Christmas, what I really want to do is ask God to build within us a desire to know Him intimately and to desire to worship Him passionately. So what does it look like in the life of a follower to worship Christ? We're going to look at the four postures of worship. Next week, we're going to talk about bringing our gifts. We're going to talk about what it looks like for the life of a follower of Jesus to worship God by bringing our gifts to Him. The 13th, we're going to be looking at what it means to pour out our hearts in worship. What does it look like for the life of a follower to empty and to pour out our hearts before God? And on the Sunday before uh, Christmas, we're going to be looking at uh, the act of worship in bowing our knees. As we kneel before Him, the physical act of bowing our knees, what does that look like in terms of worship? And so today, as we get started, we're going to start with lifting our hands. Everyone lift your hands right now, right? That wasn't that hard, right? Even our sound team, our tech team, everyone's lifting their hands. All right, go ahead and put them down. We're going to talk about what's so spiritual about lifting your hands. You say, Daniel, you're going to spend a whole message talking about why we should lift our hands. You got it. We're going to talk about what the physical reason we do that, what it reflects in our heart, and why is this such an important component of worship. At our church, we believe in the Bible. We believe in God's inspired word. And we're going to look at verses in the Bible that not only encourage us, 
to worship by lifting our hands, but it, it, it's a command to us that we lift our hands up in worship and in prayer. So why is it that Scripture teaches us to lift our hands and what does it accomplish? I'd encourage you later, don't do it right now, but later, uh, Google uh, Tim Hawkins' uh, worship. And Tim Hawkins is a comedian and he has this incredible bit about um, worship in a church. And, and if it's the first time you're entering into church, how, how confusing it could be when you walk into church and you see people with their hands lifted. He, does, uh, he talks about there's different ways to lift your hands up in worship. And, and uh, for those of you beginners at home, you can do this with me. Um, there's uh, carrying the TV, right? And we put our hands like this. And, and sometimes you'll see people... Uh, worshiping with their hands out like this, and then if you get really uh, into it, maybe you're carrying a large screen TV, right? And you got a big screen TV, and your hands are here, or or uh, sometimes it's uh, it's the high five worship, right? And you're lifting up your hands. Oftentimes, you'll see me doing that, and you might think I'm trying to block a shot in an imaginary game of basketball, but my my hands are just going in in praise and. And worship, and to be honest, if it's your first time in church, and, and maybe you grew up in a church where the only time you raised your hand was to use the bathroom, and that was the only time, it can feel a little awkward, and we're just going to talk about it and get past it, but what is so significant about lifting our hands in worship? We're going to look today at the life of David in the Old Testament. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and flip them in the middle of your Bible to Psalms chapter 63, and what we want to do is talk about why something we do with our hands is really a reflection of our heart. The author is David in the wilderness, and we're talking about David at an exceptionally low point in his life. The beautiful thing about the book of Psalms is nearly every single psalm you can trace back to the origination of the psalm and what's going on in the life of the person. And in Psalm 63, David is at his low point. He is on the run. As a young man, he has been anointed as king, and yet he still doesn't have the throne. King Saul is still on the throne, and David is a threat to him. He's a threat to the throne. He's a threat to the kingdom. And so Saul's mission at, in life at this point is to eliminate David. And so he sends his armies out. He sends spies out. He sends his men out to find David and to kill him. And so for a large portion of his life, David is on the run. And this is where we is in Psalm 63. He's on the run. He's in hiding. He's trying to escape the claws of King Saul. And these are his words of worship. Look at Psalm 63 and verse 1. He says this, You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land when there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. You look at verse 1, and David is crying out to God as a reflection of maybe perhaps what's going on in your heart right now. He says, you God are my God, and earnestly I seek you. 
I thirst for you. Maybe some of you are in a portion of your life and this year has done you in and you say, God, I feel distant from you. I'm, I, I thirst for you. I need you in my life. My whole being longs for you. Here's David on the run and he's being threatened and his life is in danger. And as a young man, he had defeated Goliath. As a young man, he was anointed as the next king. And here he is on the run in a cave all by himself. He says, God, I I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you. Maybe you can identify with that. Maybe this is your low point. Maybe this is as alone as you have felt in a long time. And you say, man, I didn't think life was going to turn out like this. I didn't think I would be at this place in my life right now. People just celebrate Thanksgiving, and then we have Christmas, and then we have New Year's, and everybody is in such a happy mood. And I can't stand it. It's interesting how the holidays, I would actually say Christmas in particular, kind of acts as a magnifier. It makes the good seem really, really, really good. But it also makes the bad seem really, really, really bad. David's crying out and he's saying, I need you. The depths of my soul long for you. My whole being longs for you. I thirst for you. I'm in this dry, barren place in my life. And he says in verse 2, I've seen you in the sanctuary. I've beheld your power and your glory. He talks about it in the past tense. It's not that he sees it now. He's like, I know I've seen it before. I know I've seen your glory. I know I've seen your power before. And then he says, verse 3, because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. Think about that. The love of God is better than life itself. That might just sound like flowery words that an artist or a poet my right but here is a man who was literally on the brink of losing his life and he says your love is is better than this life it's eternal it's everlasting it never fails i've had the honor of being in the room when followers of jesus christ have passed from this life into the next and i can tell you there's a certain peace that passes understanding for someone who has Christ to look forward to. This Tuesday will mark five years that I've got to serve as pastor here at First Christian Church, and when I think about December 1st and what that represents in my life, I I also think about Glenn Butler and John Lippincutt, Dorothy Lamoureux, I think of Ron Sturtz, I think of Nora Barrett, I think of Dorothy Wicker, I think of all the the folks I've had the pleasure and honor of serving and loving and and being able to say goodbye to them as they pass from this life to the next. And I can tell you, there's a peace that passes understanding. David recognized that in the moment and he said, boy, this love, this life will fade, but the love of God will never fade. Your love is better than even living. Then he says this in verse 4. I will praise you as long as I live. Again, he's on the run. uh, He's being chased. His life is in danger. And he has the wherewithal to say, I will praise you as long as I live. And even if that's just a couple more days or a couple more hours, if Saul catches me, I want you to know that 
I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name, look at verse 4, what will he do? He will lift up his hands. Lifting up our hands to praise and glorify God is an act of worship. It's a physical act that represents some things that are happening on the inside. You cannot experience the grace of God without showing gratitude in some form or fashion. I remember uh, the first time I walked into the doors at First Christian Church, and for me, that was my Psalm 63 moment. That was the bottom of my life. That was, uh, that was it. And, and yet, when I walked in here for the very first time some eight or nine years ago, and, and I was able to be loved on by a church family, I remember sitting with Darren a couple, uh, about a year and a half, two years later or so, and and Darren said, um, we'd love for you to uh, uh, put in to see about maybe, kind of, sort of, would you think about, maybe we think it might work, maybe would you think about being our next pastor? I remember sitting with Ron Sturtz at Starbucks and talking to him about it, and we prayed, and, and the idea of pastoring this body of church. I remember uh, a couple years later after that, uh, the running joke is, by the way, you guys knew me and you still said yes. I remember a couple years later after pastoring, having the opportunity to, to, to go to a Bible study at a friend's house and, and meeting who would, would be my wife. And the gratitude in my heart over the way God orchestrates our life. You cannot experience the grace of God without expressing gratitude. I heard this last week that if you have not shed a tear for what Jesus has done on the cross for you, you should rethink it. Why would God ask us to lift up our hands? Why would he ask us to do this physical act? I'm going to give you three reasons to consider this morning. Why do we lift our hands to God in worship? Number one, I believe we lift our hands because God loves his children. I believe with all my heart that God, our Heavenly Father, absolutely loves when His children lift their hands in worship to Him. Psalms 103 says it this way, The Lord is like a father to His children, tender and compassionate to those who fear Him. He is the father of the fatherless, the protector of widows. And I can just imagine the love of our Heavenly Father when we outstretch our arms in praise and worship. There's no loving father on earth who would reject the outstretched arms of a child. And it's one of the more beautiful moments for a young child to be able to lift up their hands and see their parent coming and rushing to pick them up because that picking up represents security. It, re it, rep it represents love, unconditional love. And when we lift up our hands to God, I believe his heart moves towards us. Look at what it says in James chapter 4. James chapter 4 verse 8 says this, Come near to God and He will come near to you. 
Wash your hands, sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. In other words, as we draw near to our Heavenly Father, as we lift up our hands saying, God, I cannot reach you. This is the best I can do. I lift up my hands in worship and adoration. I believe that God draws near to us and He recognizes us as His children. We lift our hands because God loves His children. I would say also we lift our hands because it is an offering of praise. It's a literal offering of our praise. Uh, Psalms 41 says it this way, I call to you, Lord, come quickly to me. Hear me when I call to you. May my prayer be set before you like incense, and may the lifting up of my hands be like the evening sacrifice. Boy, I love the psalmist here. He says, I'm lifting up my hands. Would you please accept this as an offering of praise? I love you, I need you, and, and would you please accept my upraised hands as a sign of my offering of praise? It may feel a little awkward at first, but by the time the service is over today, I'm going to ask you to lift your hands in worship. I'm going to ask you to offer this up as an outward sign of praise of something that's happened inside your heart. It's an offering of praise. It's an offering that signals to ourselves that we're pushing ourselves out of the spiritual comfort zone. We are doing something that represents something that's happening in our lives. So I believe it's something that allows us to declare, well, God loves his children. It's something that is an act of uh, or an offering of worship. But I would say thirdly this morning, we lift our hands because it is an act of surrender, signaling our trust in God. I talked about it before, but some of you might be in a real battle. You might be in a real dark place. And I want to encourage you to take a moment and consider what it would mean and what it would look like for you to spend some time in worship. Surrendering to God, letting Him do battle for you. One of my favorite stories about this that always, it didn't make sense to me growing up, I'm going to be honest, is in Exodus chapter 17. If you have your Bibles, go and turn there. It's in your notes and we'll have it on the screen here. But in the Old Testament, in Exodus chapter 17, there's this story about the Amalekites who were attacking God's people, the Israelites. And so Moses says to Joshua, hey Joshua, grab some men. We're going to go to battle. They've declared war against us, and we are going to respond in kind. Tomorrow, I'm going to stand on top of a mountain, and I'm going to lift my hands, and I'm going to pray, and we're going to win. It's a weird story, isn't it? Moses is the leader of Israel. Joshua is his right-hand man, and Joshua, by all accounts, is a military man. He's a man of battle. If you read through the book of Joshua, it's, it's literally just war after war after war that Joshua and the children of Israel fight. And here's the great military plan that Moses comes up with. He says, hey, I'm going to go to the top of the mountain. I'm going to put my hands up. And as long as my hands are up, we're going to win. This is what Moses tells Joshua. Look at verse 10. He says this, so Joshua fought the Amalekites. By the way, Moses had the best deal, right? I'll go stand on the mountain. You go do the fighting. Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered, and Moses and Aaron and Hur went to the top of the hill. In verse 11, it says this, as long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. 
But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. So when the arms were lifted up, acknowledging the sovereign power of God, God's people were winning. And when Moses' hand would be lowered, the Bible records that the battle would shift and God's people would lose. Here's the reality. It might be time for you to lift up your hands and say this. God, I surrender. This battle is too big for me. And so I surrender, I worship you, I praise you, and in this moment I declare, I know that you love your children. This is my offering of praise, and I surrender to you, and I need you to fight this battle for me. I lift up my hands and I praise you. In spite of what I see, in spite of what I feel, in spite of what's going on, I continue to praise you. But I'm going to be honest, God, this battle that I'm in right now, it's too big for me. And so I surrender. I yield. You cannot leave your hands up for hours on end, though, can you? We can't walk around with our hands physically lifted at all times. By the way, uh, for those of you at home, uh, just put your hands up. And just leave them there for a while. See how long you can do it. It's not very long. So so what happens when we physically can't lift up our hands all the time? There's There's a lesson to be learned in Exodus chapter 17. Look what happens with Moses in verse 12. It says this, When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held his hands, one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remain steady till sunset. It's a beautiful picture of what community looks like in the life of a believer. And every one of us from time to time, we need someone in our life to help hold our hands up. We need people there to support us. We need people there to love on us. I think about the last five years for me, and and I think about uh, Pastor Darren and and what he's done for me in the last five years. I think about one of our elders, Dean, and over the last five years when I've been tired, when I have felt defeated, when I myself have started to lose faith, they have come along my side and they have held up my hands. And when I get tired, they have prayed for me, they have held me up, they've they've worshiped God, they have asked God to empower me. And, and church family, that's what you do for me. You, you help lift up my hands when my hands can't do it on my own. What's the value of having some people in your life that you trust that are going to help worship, help you worship, help support you in those times? This is why worship matters. This is why being the church matters because we don't just worship God by ourselves. We worship Him as the body of Christ. We stand together leaning on one another and we say, together we're going to do this. Together we seek God. And when one of us is tired, we're going to rush to their side. We're going to hold up their arms and worship and we're going to worship on their behalf and pray for them and uplift one another because that's why we're here is for one another. I want you to think about this thought. Throughout history, uplifted hands have meant two things. It's in your notes. I want you to write them down. They have meant victory and they have meant surrender. Throughout history, when you lift up your hands, these are the two things it means. I want you to think about that first one, victory, for a moment. I want you to think about the last time, for those of you who are, 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 uh, are parents, 
and you have had children in sports, and you have watched them on the soccer field, you've watched them in Little League, you've watched them in peewee football, and when they've done one thing right or correct or something that they were taught in practice, the instinct is to raise your hands in victory. Some of you who are a little bit of a sports fan, yeah, when, when you're watching your favorite team and there's a big win, you raise your hands in victory. I want you to think about the second word. It also, throughout history, has meant surrender. When you've been threatened, the instinct is to raise your hands as a sign that I'm not a threat. My hands are open. Here's the beautiful thing in the life of a believer. When you lift up your hands in worship, both victory and surrender are both yours. When you lift up your hands in surrender and yield yourself to God and His leading and let Him fight your battles, in that moment of surrender, you also get to claim victory in that same moment. Worship is not just going to be something we occasionally do, but being a worshiper is something that we are going to be. And as we think about Christmas arriving and we think about the Magi coming from the East, they didn't come to get anything from Jesus. They came to worship Him. And I want you to think about what does worship look like? Now, now this Sunday you have it easy. You're at home. You get to practice this at home. But here in a few moments, I'm going to ask you to lift your hands in worship. I'm going to ask you to, to cry out to your Heavenly Father. I'm going to ask you to lift your hands as an offering of praise. I'm going to ask you to lift up your hands as a, as a sign of surrender that you will yield to God in this moment and let Him fight your battles. Here's David, and he's on the run. He's at the lowest point of his life. Saul's chasing him. And he has the wherewithal to pen these words so that all these generations later we can experience what he felt in that moment. And he takes some time to worship God even in the moment of his desperation, even in the moment where he's at his lowest, even at the moment where there doesn't seem to be hope. He says, I will lift up my hands in worship. Let me pray for you this morning. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads for a word of prayer, and I'm going to ask our worship team to come forward. They're going to help us worship in just a moment. Oh, come, let us adore him. Christ the Lord. If you're sitting at home and you're watching this and and you yourself have never placed your trust in God and started a personal relationship with Him. For some of you, this may be the first time you're, you're going to recognize that you're not a committed follower of Jesus Christ. In fact, just like David prayed earlier, he was desperate, he was longing for something. Some of you now, you genuinely and sincerely are longing for something more in this life. There's something missing and you know it. And for you, you're at your bottom. You're at your most desperate. You're at your most alone. You're at your most fearful. You're at your most desperate. That's exactly the right place you need to be to recognize that God's hand is not too short to save. 
The reality is this, we, we are all sinners, and this is why God sent his son to be born. This is what we celebrate, that God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. God sent Jesus, his one and only son, to come to the earth, to be born of a virgin, to live a sinless, perfect life, to die on a cross, to be buried so that he could be raised to defeat death, to defeat hell, to defeat sin, so that we might receive the gift of salvation. We are made right with God, not by anything good that we've done, but because of his love and by his grace through faith, we believe that Jesus is enough. Boy, this Christmas season, I pray if you've never accepted Christ, that you would come to a place in your life where you embrace that Jesus is enough. What does a lifted hand mean? What does it mean to lift up our hands? It means victory. And it means surrender. And I pray that today that you would surrender your life to Christ. That you would trust Him with this life and with eternity. That you would believe on Him so you can be saved. And in that moment of surrender, you actually claim victory. In a few moments, we're going to take communion and Dean's going to lead us in communion, one of our elders and Perhaps at home today, you can, you can take communion as a first time as a follower of Christ. For those of you who are part of our church family here at First Christian Church, or maybe you're a follower of Jesus Christ, let me encourage you to lift your hands in worship. To embrace the fact that you are a child of God. And a father wants to see the outstretched arms of his child. That when we lift up our hands, it's an act of praise. It's an act of worship that is an offering to God. Just like David worshiped God and offered that as a praise offering to him, we get to do so as well. And when we lift our hands in worship, we are surrendering to God, signaling our trust in him. Let's allow ourselves to respond in a position of surrender. These are David's words. He said this, You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. I've seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and glory. And because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. Heavenly Father, I pray in the next few moments that you would do a work in our heart, that with our outstretched hands and arms, it will reflect a position of surrender in our own hearts. And maybe some of us have never done that before, and maybe some of us are are a little awkward in what it looks like to raise our hands. I pray that wouldn't stop us from giving you an offering. I pray that wouldn't stop us from worshiping you this way. May you be pleased with the worship of your church. God, I pray specifically for those who are worshiping through a battle right now. God, I pray that there would be brothers and sisters who would hold up their arms. 
Give them the strength to continue to seek you and to depend on you. God, we surrender our hearts. We lift our hands as an act of worship, as an offering, as an act of praise, a cry of surrender and a signal of victory. Be pleased, O God, as we draw near to you. And we thank you that you've drawn near to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. If you made a decision for Christ or would like prayer with someone from our church family, we would love to connect with you. You can message us on Facebook by searching Roseburg First Christian Church, or you can email us directly at roseburgfcc at gmail.com. In addition, if you're listening to this message on Apple or Spotify, we invite you to like, subscribe, rate, and review this podcast and share it on social media so others can be blessed as well. God bless you and have a beautiful day.